This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. Hi, my name is Dr. Lou Diaz, pastor of Butte Bible Fellowship located at 2255 Pillsbury Road in Chico. And I'm providing inspirational teaching for you from God's Word each week. Listen to my weekly radio program, Encouraging Words with Dr. Lou Diaz, at 10 a.m. on Saturday or 10 a.m. on Sunday. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Exodus chapter 14, and we've been going verse by verse through this rich chapter, and we've been learning that hope in action is God's breakthrough plan. So we are going to give a quick summary here for you that, let me say this, fear makes us irrational, which then leads us to doing irrational things. Have you ever been asked in the midst of panicking, why did you do that? I don't know. I didn't know what to do. I just did the first thing I thought, and it wasn't the best or the smartest thing to do. So yes, fear causes us to be irrational and it leads us to doing irrational things. And that's what the Israelites did. They're so human. When they saw Pharaoh and the 600 chariots and all the officers and many more coming after them and they saw they were trapped with the Red Sea in front of them and the military fortress of the Egyptians on one side and the mountains on the other side, they were in that box canyon situation. They were trapped and they cried out in fear. But it wasn't really a prayer It was a hysterical yell of help. They were, in the common vernacular, freaking out. They cried out in fear. And then, do you think if they really prayed and gave it to God and asked Him for wisdom and direction, they would do the next thing? The next thing is, they complained in anger. They said, Moses, this is all your fault. We told you it was going to be like this. Why couldn't you leave us in Egypt? We were better off serving there. And the man of God, Moses, counseled them to have faith. This was last week's message. He said to them, hold on a minute. Hold your horses. Chill out. Wait upon God. Don't fear. Don't flee. Don't fight. If you keep on trusting in the Lord, you'll eventually triumph. If you keep on believing in His promises to take care of you, you will receive that care. If you keep on resting in the Lord, you will rejoice. This message was so powerful last week that I had Ruth, our administrative assistant, make extra CD copies. So if you'd like a CD copy of the message from last week on the importance of of waiting upon the Lord. God anointed and blessed that message, and we have extra CDs on the table. If they're all out, let the office know, and we'll make more, because we want you to get the climax of this chapter, which is God speaking through Moses to say, how should you deal with your crisis? Should you panic? Should you complain? Should you criticize or blame? No. You should take it to God in prayer. You should read and claim the precious promises of God's Word. You should know that in God's perfect timing, He makes all things 
beautiful. That's the message we need to really camp on. And so even after getting this advice in fear, they cried out to the Lord, they complained in anger, and now even though God gave them it, uh, this wise counsel through Moses, they were confused. What do we do next? What do we do next? Let me say this to you. When you're not sure what to do next, when you don't have a clear word from God what to do next, always turn to the Word of God. The Word of God is the voice of God. It's God-breathed, and it's profitable for teaching and correcting and rebuking and training in righteousness so that you may be fully equipped for every good work. The Word of God is the answer book. Turn to the Word of God. And when you meditate and you uh, look into God's Word, guess what? The Holy Spirit speaks to you. The Holy Spirit takes something that you read and makes it jump off the page and you're like, Eureka! I found it! That's exactly what I need. Can you give a testimony? Is that true? Has that happened to you? God's Word. And so we're going to go back to God's Word in summarizing this series so far. And I'm going to have you give a I believe statement of faith. I want you to read this with me. We're going to do it this way. We read the first sentence, I believe that you. And then we're going to read the next section, know where I am and what I'm facing. Then read the top again, I believe that you, Lord, will work things out for your glory and for my good. Notice the verses. Everything I'm having you proclaim by faith is based on what we have studied in the Word of God to this point. You said it last week, but here's the punchline. We're going to have a new one for this sermon today. So let's read this together. I believe that you, Lord, know where I am and what I am facing. Let's just stop there for a second and think about that. Do you really believe that? God knows where you are. He knows what you're facing. Thank Him. All right, next one. I believe that you, Lord, will work things out for your glory and for my good. Let's just stop for a second. Say, thank you, Lord. You're going to work all things out for good, for your glory and my good. Next one. I believe that you, Lord, are to be my primary focus so that my problems are seen in perspective. Let's just stop there and think about our problems. Have our problems been our overwhelming focus and God's been the side glance? Let's turn that around. Next, I believe that you, Lord, help me through my fears when I call upon you with ongoing faith. Unlike the Israelites who just simply cried out to God, but then they complained, we're to keep on giving our fears to God in exchange for his courage. Keep on praying. Keep on seeking. Keep on working through from fear to faith. And then the last last one from uh, last week. I believe that you, Lord, are fighting the battle on my behalf, allowing me to calmly wait upon your perfect timing. Just take, take a minute to stop and think about that. Aren't you glad that God's fighting the battle for you? You can't fight it. I can't fight it. Our strength is puny. It's weak. We've got to rely on Him and wait upon Him. Give Him time to work. We're so impatient. 
We want to be in control. But guess what? God's in control. And then here's the one for this week. Let's say it together. I believe that you, Lord, want me to take the next step. So what do you do when you don't know what to do? You take the next logical step. And that's what Exodus 14, 15 says in the sermon entitled, Hope Moves Forward. Exodus 14, 15 says, And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. Now there's four things about this as we go with God. Of course, we move forward, taking the next logical step by faith with God. Ever hear that Spanish phrase, uh, um, something like, voy a Dios, something like that? Vaya con Dios, which means go with God. You're on a journey in life, go with God. So what does it mean to move forward? Well, number one, it means don't go backwards. Number two, it means don't spiritualize inactivity. Number three, it means take responsibility. And number four, it means take the next step. Let's break that down and see what that means. First of all, don't go backwards. Did you know that returning to an unhealthy past because it's a known quantity, undoes what progress was made in your life. You may want to go back to Egypt. You may want to go back to your old normal, because you don't like your new normal. But God is working in you to grow you, to progress you, to strengthen you, to teach you. And He doesn't want you to go backwards. But that's what the people were complaining about and saying to Moses Exodus 14, 12. Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt? Saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than we should die in the wilderness. They wanted to go back to the good old days, but they forgot the good old days were days of slavery and bondage where they were beaten and abused and, and mocked and their kids were aborted, uh, thrown into the uh, river, the Nile River, to drown. They forgot all that. God doesn't want you to go back. The word nostalgic describes someone who's homesick and wants to be back at home with family, but it involves a wistful memory of times that now seem better or simpler. Do you remember when gas was only 15 cents a gallon? Some of you do. The problem was there was a depression. So the good old days aren't what they used, what you think, what you've uh, hollowedized them to be. We are to be grateful and not ornery, not difficult, not crabby. The Israelites criticized Moses. They blamed him. They preferred to go back to Egypt. God wants you not to face your past and to want to go back. He wants you to turn around and face your destiny, your future. He wants you to move forward. How do I know that? Well, look at my feet. Which way are my feet pointing? They're pointing forward. Which way are my eyes pointing? They're pointing forward. Which way does God want me to go? forward. That's right. Don't go backwards. Go forward. 
Next is don't spiritualize inactivity. Now, what do I mean by that? Look at what God says. He says, and the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. Have you ever heard of the expression, he or she is so heavenly minded that he or she is no earthly good? Here's the problem. We are to pray about our desires and work toward our goals, but oftentimes we get it backwards. We work toward our desires and we pray about our goals. If you pray about your goals, oh God, help me to meet my goals, help me to meet my goals, but you don't do anything to reach your goals, guess what? You're never going to reach your goal. So this is what I call spiritualizing inactivity. How many people have you known, including yourself, who instead of acting said, I'll pray about it. God cannot steer a parked car. You've got to be moving forward. Better that you move forward in a direction of faith, trusting God to guide you, than you sit on your haunches expecting God to drop it in your lap on a silver platter. Do not spiritualize inactivity. Indecision is a decision. If you say, I don't know what to do, I don't know what to do, I don't know what to do, you're not going to do anything. When all is said and done, more is said than done. I had a professor in seminary, he said, one of the things he uh, saw was an attitude where people said, come weal or woe, my status is quo. I love that. Come weal, meaning well, or woe, bad. My, come weal or woe, my status is quo. Some people are just... They're treading water. They're not swimming forward. And you can only tread water so long. So indecision is a decision. Make a decision. When I was uh, considering whether to pop the question to Shirley, I was really thinking it through analytically from every angle. And uh, I said, this is the second most important decision of my life. The first most important decision is receiving Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior because that's for all eternity. The second most important question, uh, decision in life is, is who I marry. That's not for all eternity, but it's for all this life, and it's very important. And I, I just struggled with it. And an older, wiser man from the Bible study I was attending said, Lou, you've got to step into the waters. The waters didn't divide until Moses stepped in there. You've got to step into the waters. And I remember when uh, I proposed to Shirley, I looked her lovingly into the uh, in her eyes and i gulped really hard later she said she thought i was going to say i think i'm going to be sick <laughs> but i i gulped really hard and i said i think i'd like to ask you to marry me and she's like really and she's like yes and right then i felt such a peace i had been teeter-tottering should I ask her to marry me or should I not ask her to marry me? Should I ask her to marry me? Should I not ask her to marry me? And right then, both feet came on the same side. Yes, I should ask her to marry me. And there was an incredible peace. God wants you to do what you can to make a decision where you can. He's given you a mind to use. Yes, we're not to lean completely and solely on our own understanding. We are to trust in the Lord in all our ways and acknowledge Him in all our ways, but He's given us a brain to use. Use your brain. Use your common sense, which is not so common anymore. 
The serenity prayer says, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. So don't explain away your spiritual inactivity by saying, I'll pray about it. Ask God, what would you have me to do next? And if he doesn't answer, do something by faith. Then he can direct you. Does that make sense? God wants you to move forward. Sometimes the only thing that's between you and a breakthrough is you moving forward. You taking the next small step. But that step will break through for you to your destiny. Third is take responsibility. Exodus 14, 15 says, tell them to go forward. Now, here's a very interesting question. I want you to look at this set of verses and tell me what the answer is. Here's the question. How much does God do and how much do you do? Let's read Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my dear brothers, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. All right, answer to the question. How much does God do and how much do you do? It's a trick question. The answer is 100%. We're to give it 100% and God's already given it and he's given it 100%. God is at work all the time. He's working in you. He's working through you. He's working around you. And you and I are to cooperate with what God is doing. We're to take responsibility. Not abrogate our responsibility. Oh, God will do all that. God wants you to step up. God wants you to do your part. God uses human instrumentality. Even when he's going to part the Red Sea, what does he have Moses do? Extend his staff. God could have just easily just caused the water to go from side to side, make a highway right through the sea. But he used human instrumentality. Moses had to extend the staff. God's using you, and he's asking you, please cooperate, work with me. Now, a lot of people misunderstand this verse. They think I'm supposed to work out my salvation. That's not what this verse says. It says, being saved already by faith in Jesus Christ fulfill your salvation complete work out the full dimensions of what it means to be saved with reverence and respect not with fear of upcoming judgment is that helpful don't think this is saying if i don't work out my salvation and save myself with fear and trembling i'm going to go to hell that's not what this verse says having been saved complete fulfill with respect and reverence what christ has already done for you cooperate with god who's working in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose let me say this very graphically religion can be captured as an arrow of human effort trying to reach god Okay, picture arrows going up. That's called religion. Grace is God reaching down to us. Picture an arrow going down. God's grace reaching us. We love because he first loved us, not because we loved him. Okay, 
God gave Jesus so our sins could be forgiven. Not because we wanted him, we were enemies of God, ungodly. All of us sinned and fell short of the glory of God, but God in his grace gave his only son Jesus to die on the cross for us. That's God reaching down to man. So religion won't reach up to God. God reaches down to man. Now, when we receive God's grace and we trust in Jesus Christ, we let the Lord work in us by his spirit and we turn that arrow back to him. So picture an arrow coming down and swinging back up. That's us responding to God's grace in our lives. And we're just returning it back to him. You know, music I love music. You heard me play some instruments today. I believe music is a gift from God, but I return it back to Him as an act of worship. Whatever God's working in you, you're not working as a religion to give it back to Him. You're reflecting back to God what He's already given to you. So it's not self-effort, it's grace effort. God's grace. And who gets the glory? God gets the glory. Finally, take the next step. Go forward. Even if we don't know what to do next, someone has said, I have found that if we go as far as we can, God often opens up the rest of the way. When unsure, just take the next logical step of faith. In the 19th century, the expositor C.H. McIntosh believed that the Red Sea didn't just open up all the way through. It opened up bit by bit. So as the Israelites were walking through the Red Sea, it was opening one step, drying, then opening up the next step, drying, while a fiery pillar was between them and the Egyptians, so the Egyptians were kept at bay. Now, this is a very interesting interpretation because he writes, God never gives guidance for two steps at a time. I must take one step, and then I get light for the next. This keeps the heart in abiding dependence upon God. You know, the Lord's prayer is, give us this day our daily bread. We rely on the Lord on a daily basis, and he guides us to give us energy and strength to take the next step. So my question for you, let me use this illustration real quick. When I used to do marriage counseling, I would ask the couple, to imagine a garage full of junk. And you open the garage door and stuff falls out. And you're like, oh, you push it back in quickly and slam the door down. You don't even want to face the problems in your garage, in your marriage, because there's too much clutter. You don't even know where to begin. Well, open that garage door again. Now, don't go after the broken down freezer that's all the way in the back of the garage because that's going to take forever to get to. Why don't you start by taking the sports stuff that's right here, the croquet set, the uh, tennis rackets, the golf clubs. Let's start with getting the small stuff out. And in problem solving, this is called fractionation. Instead of trying to deal with the whole ball of wax, you cut it into fractions and you deal with bits and pieces of it. You know what? Our marriage isn't great, and we can't deal with the biggest problem right now, but let's start dealing with, why don't we start being nice to each other? Huh? Why don't we start on that level? And then why don't we reestablish a date night? And next thing you know, little by little, with these small little steps, guess what? The garage gets cleaned out and organized. I saw this with my own two eyes. I worked at Westmont College. I was 
in the printing department, and I shared an office space with the bookstore manager. The bookstore storage center that I was in was a huge mess. And we got a new manager. And little by little, he would move some books over here. He'd move some papers over there. He'd throw out a whole bunch of stuff. That office was transformed, organized, and beautiful one step at a time. There was a man who wrote, back in the old days, a manuscript of a book. And he gave it to his neighbor to read. His neighbor put it on the mantle of his fireplace. The maid thought he was kindling to start the fire. The whole manuscript was burned up. He went back to his neighbor and said, you know that manuscript you gave me? The history of the world? My maid used it for kindling and it's gone. This sent him into a tailspin of depression. My life work up in smoke. One day he's on the second floor of his house and he's looking across the street at some masons and the masons are building a brick wall. They put one brick down, they put mortar on it, they put another brick on top of that, put mortar on it, and that's when he realized, how did you write that manuscript? One page at a time. And he started rewriting the book and he finished the book. He didn't let his neighbor see it. It was published, and it now is one of the standards in academia on the history of the world. Aren't you glad he didn't give up? So whatever you need to do, you need to do it one brick at a time. You need to take one little step in the right direction and go with God, go by faith, and the Lord will bless you. The Lord will direct you. The Lord will either confirm or He'll redirect. But move forward. Don't sit on your haunches. Get up. Act. Hope in action acts. So what's the step you need to take today? Maybe you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you've never trusted in Christ, you're lost. If you were to die today, you'd go to hell. You need to trust in Christ. But more than eternity uh, eternal life insurance, to know Christ is to know forgiveness. To know Christ is to know abundant life. To know Christ is to know peace and love and joy. To know Christ is to fulfill why God made you in the first place. He made you for a relationship with Him. Trust in Jesus Christ. Say, I am a sinner. Jesus, you died on the cross for my sins. You rose from the dead to give me eternal life. Jesus, I receive you as my Savior and Lord. You've got to settle that first and foremost. But maybe the decision or the step you need to take is you need to return to God. Recommit your life to Him. You've been a prodigal. You've been wandering. You've been squandering. And you've been wasting your life. And God's been waiting with open arms to welcome you home. Come on home. God loves you. I'd been out of the church for years. I sat where you sat, and I felt like a small voice was saying to me, welcome home. Where have you been? It wasn't punishing. It wasn't lecturing. It was a loving voice saying, you belong in fellowship with other Christians. And boy, did I start to grow. Before that, I thought I was... Uh, living life with lead boots walking through quicksand. But once I started getting involved in regular fellowship in the church, I felt like I was running with track shoes on a six-lane freeway. What a difference fellowship within the church makes in your spiritual growth. Maybe your decision today is 
you know the truth. There's something God has been telling you to do, something you've known in the Bible, and you haven't been doing it. You need to be obedient. You need to take that step. Maybe you need to start forgiving those who have hurt you. You know, it's easy to harbor resentment and bitterness. Yesterday, I heard a story from Eulene. She was 12 years old. Her daddy said, Sis, if you pick 100 pounds of cotton this Saturday, I'll buy you the prettiest doll I can find. And she picked 100 pounds of cotton that Saturday. Her dad got her the most beautiful doll. And they were poor, very poor. And she loved this. People had very few toys back then, and she had a beautiful doll. But some of the relatives went up in the attic and destroyed all the toys. And she said, I had to forgive my relatives. I had to forgive them and rip up the IOUs and say, I don't hold this against you anymore. I'm moving on. She said, that was it. Do you need encouragement? I want to share my spiritual gift of encouragement with you. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521 to find out how you can connect with our weekly worship services and faith-building messages from God's Word.